special edition. We are in the Brownswood basement once again. We being Phil Asher and uh, GP. As January comes to an end. We're nearly at the end of January 2009 already. And I have a brand new CD, Flash and Friends. It's coming out and uh, actually it's going to be coming out on... What label is it? It's coming out on Archive. Yeah, it's coming out on Archive. Um, Phil is currently unwrapping his mic. No, you're not. You're unwrapping your headphones. An issue that we often have mm. as DJs. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, here we go. Turn yes. Mic. That's it. I think that's right. Yeah. Are you going to get a little bit of feedback there? You're feeling good? Is it? Can yeah, you hear I'm good. it? Yeah, yeah. Is that sounding good? Um, let's play another track before we get into it. But now we've got all our things unwrapped and unraveled and comfortably around our ears, we can get into track two on the new LP Deep Electronic Sound, Phil Asher and Peterson.
it's called uh, Flasher. Flash. <laughs> uh-huh. It's called Flash, yeah. Yeah. Flash and Friends. Simple idea. I sat down, wrote a bunch of tracks, thought to myself, what can I do to enhance them? Obviously get some musicians on, get some singers on. And I thought the best way to do it with a, not a kind of, you should say like a massive marketing or, or massive production budget, best way to do it is if we'll collaborate. And call it call it Flash and Friends because that's what it is. And uh, I want to talk to you a bit about your your history because you and I have gone. I mean, we go back a long, long time. I, d- I don't know actually like exactly when we first met. I think we met in. I was even Vinyl Solution in in Labour Grove. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. And it was it was Tosh around. It was that Tosh kind was of around. Roy the Roach. Yeah. It was it yeah. was the time of Quaff Records. It was the time when you and Marco were doing Dingles. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's a long time Quite ago. Quite a while ago. And uh, and. What you know? What was your entrance in, and uh, you know your music? Or give me your route. Um, give me your history. Mum and Dad worked at Harlequin Records, so they'd be bringing tunes home, specials, Electric Light Orchestra, Stevie Wonder, stuff like that. Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. Did you buy Mr. Blue Sky? Um, do you know what? I've got a project forthcoming that we can talk about another time. It's called the Restless Soul Fun Band, and it's like a. It's like a funk sound, Mark Ronson stroke, True Thoughts kind of flavour. But with the Restless Soul Edge, all songs, loads of samples, and one of them, one, we've actually done a funk version of Mr. Blue Sky. Mad. And it's just funny you say that, because someone was asking me what were my first three records, I, or first records I ever bought, and I, I, I remember clearly that the first records I went out and bought in a shop, um, I must have been, I was quite old, I was probably 14 actually, I wasn't like 11 or 7 or something like that, and it was Denis by Blondie, um, yeah. it was, uh, it was, uh, Electrolyte Orchestra, Mr. Blue Sky, and it was One Step Beyond by Madness. Yeah, I was just going to say, the other thing was the specials. And that little thing there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally changed my mind. So we're coming from the same place. And ELO, underrated, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Underrated. Totally. So your parents worked in a shop? Yeah, they worked at Harlequin Records. What is that in Croydon? That used to be, it used to be the prior shop to our price. So my pops was the manager in Oxford Street. Right. And he opened the one in Bayswater. Right. And is this a sort of cut? Had cutouts arrived at that point? No, that's that's just about when it was about to kick in, I think. Right. And punk was just surfacing totally mainstream. My dad, bless him, never swore in his life. Uh, loads of new people turned up at the shop, mohawks, all sorts of stuff like that, swearing everywhere. He couldn't handle it. He had to leave. He had to leave. Yeah. He, couldn't handle he, it. No decorum. Wow. No dance. Wow, well, good for him. I think that's 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 how we should remember <laughs> the way people used to live and be. Um, so that was quite a good heritage for you. And uh, what made you sort of switch and get into the um, you know turn and get into the music thing yourself fully? Um, I started playing guitar at school. Um, went to school at Holland Park. Went to the guitar lessons. Found it totally boring. Stopped playing guitar, but always had a keen interest in music. Sold records at the at the school fairs. Stuff like that. Started going to parties like yourself when I was really young, 13, 14. And started roading for a few bands. Zushi was one of them. They did that track, surprise, surprise. Going deep now. You know that. <laughs> and just going out and going out on a Friday night to maybe listen to a punk band or, or a rock type band like ELO and then going out on a Saturday night to try and get into um, try and get into uh, London Zoo for the Dirt of Zoos. I remember never getting in there. Right. I remember walking home from one, walking down walking down Edgeware Road, coming to the um, underpass on the motorway and hearing music resonating. And we, we knew there were some mutoid waste parties, and they were okay, but they were they were a little bit full on. And we peeked over the edge and we saw the hole in the wall, and that was it really. First time I heard James Brown really loud. Norman Jay, jo- um, Judge Jules with a white Hanes t-shirt on, pair of five oh ones warming up for Norman, playing the best music. Honestly. Yeah, no, I remember that. <laughs> I remember it well. Um, so, yeah, wow. just went from there. Started working at Quaff. Um, the Final Qua- Solution. The Quaff in Finsbury Park or the Quaff in West London? I did a couple of days in Finsbury Park. Yeah, what a mad place that was. Yeah, yeah, very reggae. Did they? Sp- I, don't, I don't think they sold that many records. Mm, it's debatable. <laughs> it's debatable. But it was, a, it was a lovely little atmosphere in the show. Amazing. I can't. I mean, that was just mm. classic. I mean, that's where I met Roy the Roach. Yeah. And uh, brilliant. That was just sort of post Rare Groove or sort yeah. of that era, yeah. right? Yeah. 80, Eighty. I think I started working at, at Lubber Grove in 88, mm. 80, beginning of 89. 
obviously acid house had hit town and yeah. everyone shaved their heads and wore caftans while we did for a little, for about two days and <laughs> <laughs> realised how stupid we looked. But it was always the music thing, you know. Did but you go to Shum? I never actually went and loads of my friends went and I always thought, why would I want to go to a sweaty gym and dance and look at myself in the mirror? I wish I had. I went to loads of the after party, mm. parties and stuff like that, but never actually went to the gym. But a few of my friends did and, you know, they, they, they torture me. Yeah, <laughs> of course they do. And what else? I mean, what was the other club that there used to be, the first sort of house club before? What was that club that used to happen in, in London? The uh, first house club, yeah. as far as I remember, was Delirium. Delirium. Yeah, at Astoria. Yeah. It was Nolan Morris. That's right. Noel used to play funk, rare groove all the local sort of hip-hop current stuff that was out at the time up until 12 and then Morris would take over and play house Yeah, and people would throw cans at the DJ booth and stuff. Oh, you went to that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and that then, was, that's almost, you know, cooler than going to Sherman away, isn't it? No, no, no. no. It's just the same, you know, it's just the same. Three A's was called, now Three A's, I think that was a cool one to say. That was, that was a brilliant club, brilliant. Going super that. deep. Yeah, that was good. And were you spinning at that time? Um, only at parties and, you know, friends parties and local pubs and stuff like that I remember playing at a local pub with my old partner Ray and we played the Harlequin Ford set it off and one of the locals came up and said what's that music you're playing there it sounds like some someone banging a piece of wood on a table <laughs> and we realised that the repetitive sound of syncopated drum machine disco dance music wasn't for the pubs yeah well it kind <laughs> of has become that mm, 20 mm, years later totally totally full circle which is brilliant yeah so we've got to the point now where you've just put out this um, Flash and Friends. There's loads to, to, to go beyond, um, obviously, those ears into meaning because you've, you've had so much influence and you've made so much incredible music. Um, let's play another track off this album. We're going to go straight to track number seven, which um, is... Uh, well, the track we just played, actually, was the one from um, which you did with Amas and Benji. Tell us a little bit about that track because that's a big tune, getting a big response on that. Um, that's a co-production with Benji as you say and Amas um, we, we started it at my house I basically asked a bunch of people if they could do um, as an extra thing to the friendship thing if some other people who weren't necessarily producers if they could just do some jingles for me for the album oh, okay. I asked people worldwide and everybody said yeah I'll do it I'll do it I'll, of course I'll do it for you oh yeah man I'll get it to you nobody turned up with anything you know except for Bob Star and Benji and so I was so impressed with their little ideas. I said, let's develop them into full, full songs, into full, you know, versions, so that we can release them on the album. And Benji's one, we were at, at, our house, at my house working, and almost rang the bell as he does, popped in, sung the vocal and played the keys, and that was it. The song was born. Benji put the bass down and finished. Really, really simple, really easy. Yeah, because I saw Benji at, uh, in fact, we were both in the end on um, Sunday morning. I actually went down there at 11 o'clock for the um, the closing party oh, okay. thing. And Benji was already there. He'd been yeah. there since what, eight or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just standing behind the turntables with that, that most, that peak point where the yeah. bass is at its most heavy. And uh, and within the bass of um, Laurent Garnier's set, I said to him um you know what a brilliant track he'd done with you and he said yeah it took just it didn't take long at all it was mm. a real quick track yeah, yeah. right very quick very quick i think he was impressed by that yeah that was, it's just very organic and especially if you're working with your friends and you know them you know how to deal with them and it's a good good uh, ex good to experience that with your friends and you just get into it drums up in no time benji played the bass easy we're really gonna, good. We're going to play this one now. This is uh, Jungle All Kids. Alma Horton, you've done a lot of stuff with her, right? Yeah, she's a great singer. Lovely lady. Exuberant.
and Friends Podcast 2009 Deep Electronic Sound the new album and lots of different guests on it as you would imagine including Alma Horton on this one um, how did you kind of go about making the music did you send bits or did they come to the UK and just microphone it for you uh, 90% of it I did um, at home and I sent them the music via iChat email Yeah, and then they sent me the, the vocals back and I carried on, arranged it and mixed it. Boom. And don't you find that sort of doing it that way you kind of miss a little bit of the, the production or is there a whole new skill that comes I, up, you know, how do you work that out? I've got to totally agree with you. I've, I've, I've always wanted to be there when it's, when the vocals go down. So in order to do that, the, the exaltation with Sandra and Karke, we recorded that in Mark Clive house. Right. And she put that whole vocal down in one take in 10 minutes. And that was, I got, at the end of it, I was overwhelmed. I had tears in my eyes. And I'd only just met her. Mm. And um, very lovely lady, very affable. And she said, I'm really sorry, I've got to leave. I've got to get, get in the cab. Cab's, cab came five minutes later, she's gone. But with the track that we played earlier, the um, Look at What We've Done with Pfizer, I went in the studio with Zed Bias, produced the track, sat down with Pfizer. Pfizer wrote the lyrics and we went through it with her. And then she delivered backing vocals, boom. So that was, you know, I'd satisfied me production yearnings with those two but the, some of the others the vocals had to be done elsewhere but the Shea Soul and the Zanzika ones they were all done in my house and then later at Tony's the other thing that I think I mean especially listening to you talking about sort of production because I see you and I've heard what you've done in the past and I can tell that you're really a p- people person uh, sort of a you know you, you can produce the vocals like Louis is really good with vocals mm. and Bluey when you watch them in the studio yeah. there's so much they can get out of a sort of neutral situation into something really exciting so mm. I can imagine it must be quite offbeat doing it with my chat or on the other way however you are also shit hot on the beats mm. and so on this track with Alma you've actually cut up her vocals a little bit right yeah totally started this track with Orin Walters um, Afronaut did the, the snare patterns and I built the rest of the beat around it and then, sent, like we said, send it to um, Alma. She recorded it at Worship Studios in Philadelphia, and she sent it back. When she sent it back, it was um, a different arrangement to the way it is now. Then I can get into my production mode, start chopping the vocal up, making it a little bit more nicer and enticing for the track, warm it up a bit. It's got a nice little bassline feeling. Yeah, Mark the Clive <laughs> Right. And uh, this is the other thing about you, which is makes you unique in a way, is uh, Dave's a little bit like Zed Bias in the sense that you can play amongst... You you, you, you can work 
you can do a Ministry of Sounds. You can do mm. a Defected Night. You can yeah. kind of play on that circuit. Yeah. But then you obviously are, you know, a player on that kind of co-op scene and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, so you've kept yourself quite... But it's all connected, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I think all of it's got that four... 4-4 going through it whether it's 4 to the floor or not it's all that kind of constant heartbeat pulse you know whether it's disco boogie house broken beat eclectic whatever you know it's, it's just got that kind of dance for me it's all about the, the, the dance thing I'm not a great dancer but when I see people dancing it's always made me feel uplifted so I try and provide that where are we going to go next on the album let's go to think about it think about it is track 10 it's peterson and asher fasher mm. flasher or just flash <laughs> you've had a few names restless soul yeah restless soul basic soul electric soul wolf <laughs> <laughs> Great, great track. Thank you. And uh, can you give away the different sound effects you've used on that song? <laughs> of course, of course. Um, the kick drum comes from Energy Flash, Joey Beltran, and the hat comes from... No, no I'm joking. All, all of the drum sounds, uh, each separate component, is uh, a sampled from different ESG records. So the kick's from one record, the hi-hat's from another, the roll's from one, and I just tweaked them. Uh, 16-bit horns are playing uh, on the chorus... 
Dan Kiley on bass, Mark DeClive Lowe on keys, and the wonderfully talented Zanzika on guitar and vocals. Loving that. So Mark DeClive Lowe's gone to Los Angeles to write and to... Yep, seek his fame and fortune. Do that business. I can't imagine you anywhere else from London. <laughs> than London. Have you ever thought about anywhere else? Yes, yeah, all the time. All the time. But you're, you're London to I, me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always live here. I'll always live here, but I really do want to move out. I've had enough. I'm tired. Can it be? What? What is the? What's the positive? What's the best thing about London, and what's the worst thing about uh, it as a musician? The worst thing is a congestion zone, <laughs> undeniably. Uh, but as a musician, the worst thing about London is nothing. There's so many opportunities here. There's so many things that you can do if you pull your finger out. You can have a party in two seconds. You can go and play music in two seconds. You can find someone to work with easily. It's just a matter of applying yourself and getting out there and doing it. So any young producers who think it's hard to get a foothold in the game, now's the time to strike, you know? It's, it's like, it's ripe for it. Uh, it. It's a very open market and there's loads of people out there who want to work and hopefully will inspire some people to get together and make some amazing compositions, you know? And this is always what happens at times of difficulty like we're in at the moment. Yes. Does it feel good in terms of... Um, I just feel that the club side of things is brilliant at the moment. Totally, totally. It's, uh, they're really busy for January. The clubs are going crazy. There's so many parties. It's, it's very good. You know, like we were saying, in bad, bad times, people always need a release, don't they? They need to dance and sing. Do you always find that... Um, being a musician, being a producer, it's really important for you to be spinning as well, to be DJing, or can you kind of live without it? No, they're hand in hand. It's like a hand in the glove, you know. It's what, what best way of making music and then going and be, be able to, to test it yourself and, and see if it works and see the look on people's faces and, you know, if they don't like it, if they like it, you know. It's simple, it's, it's very A and B. What's the track on this album that kind of you went and played it out and you were like, yes, this is it? <laughs> is there a track that really that it worked when you heard it on a club sound system? Um, there's there's a couple Minotaur and Exaltation both kind both kind of sound like they sound they're, they're quite big heavy bass bottom end what number's but Minotaur? Minotaur is featuring Rich Medina number 6 number 6 let's give that one a little pop Jungle Orchids obviously that that, would, that, that was a surprise the bottom end on that's pretty heavy Tony Economide is, is a genius but I think Minefield the track I did with Digo that that's got some undercurrent and some subliminal stuff going on there that really pops out in the clubs. And a lot of people have been saying to me that that's their favourite track and it's an instrumental. But it's just the depth on it. It's quite, it's quite a mind blow. And on this one, minus all, you've got Rich Medina. Yeah, Rich Medina and Yankin Cave.
ideas, yet far too human to become his own greatest invention. Another sheep in the pasture. Strange. Applying medication to old wounds. And those wounds roar silent like concrete lines on government stairwells. Strange and silent like crabs in a barrel. Pulling and scratching at sheer walls. Clamoring for a way out of the trap. Dying for a chance to stand alone and go for oneself. Full of the intention to change things, yet far too underdressed for the storm outside. upward, new realities programmed and the common man's lust for acceptance rings aloud like feedback in the ears of the future. Such a great voice, isn't he? Rich Medina. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Check him out. Modern day Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, too much. It's almost, it's amazing. <laughs> I remember I always go down to APT when I go to New York, and uh, I think the last time I was there last summer, um, within the space of 20 minutes, I, watching um, Rich Medina. Um, Raphael Sadiq came in and gave him his new CD and then Q-Tip was just hanging out it was just <laughs> that's New York right he's a don isn't he Rich yeah he's a totally. don he's a don and uh, that was a, it's a great club and uh, where, where do you like to play the most um, what you know if you can have your perp- around the world and in the UK what's your favourite places around the world it's got to be Japan sound systems people energy is fantastic mm. London East Village of course London's new hotspot mm. Um, no, I love East Village because it's a fresh club. I love the Ministry of Sound. The sound system there is, is second to none. Absolutely. When it's right, it's fantastic. Yeah. When it's not played too loud, it's brilliant. You know, um, Plastic People, fantastic. You know, all about up north. I mean, there's loads. Of, I like playing anywhere up north, just because of the energy. And people just want, you know, they worked all week. They want to go out and party. They don't want to go out and criticise. You know, yeah, Phil Ashley, you are you are a man. I've got to tell you, this is true. <laughs> this is true though, because Phil goes to Southport even if you're not playing there. Yeah, of course, of course. Not a lot of DJs have got that commitment. No, I love it. I love it there. I, I, I just enjoy parties. You know, if they're good parties. You just got to go to them. You know, that's that's what it's all about. He has some brilliant parties with Patrick at uh, Notting Hill Arts mm, Club. Mm. That was many years, right? Yeah, yeah, you, ten years we were there. You took over the mantle <laughs> of DJing with Patrick Forge <laughs> totally, from me. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I introduced him to house music, the, the real house. You know? <laughs> I introduced him to jazz. No, no, not really. He knew a lot about jazz, believe me. He introduced me to a lot of jazz. Um, 
Yes, I mean, that was an incredible place for many, uh, many years, right? Crazy, you know. The, the first three hours of the night, Patrick would always play, and I'd always hear something there that would go on to inspire me to make some music in the week. Uh, yeah, just had some lovely parties there, really nice, you know. Great crowd of people. I mean, it's moved to East Village now, like I said, and it's the same. There's a new, there's a fresher crowd, but it's still a lot of the old school crowd, and it's still the same place. You know, you can still play what we want, do what we want. So how often is that? It's every two months, bi-monthly. That's a good time. That's mm. a nice time difference, I and think. Having said that, I don't think we've ever had you DJ there, have we? Not yet. I think it's well, time. Uh, the I've, time has come. I've got plans. Give me upstairs all night long. <laughs> if <laughs> you, you can good. play upstairs if you want, no do, problem. Do a Ryan and Truby. In fact, Ryan called me because he was playing at your club the other day, wasn't he? And he called me. I, I'd just been playing somewhere the night before. I was, I've got this bottle of wine that was given to me by um, a girl called Gigi in um, Singapore. Oh, I know Gigi. Yeah, a few years yeah. ago. She's probably going to be listening to this. And she, she gave me this bottle of, uh, oh, what is it? Morache something. It's like, anyway, it's literally like an enormously hot spot. Hot, well, big wine. It's a big, big wine. And uh, anyway, I've had it waiting to... I've, been, I've had it waiting to, to, to give it to Ryan. She said, can you give this to Ryan, please? And I said, yeah, yeah. But I've had to hang on to the wine. And uh, and he knows that I've got this wine. And so he called me on the night of your gig. He was like, hey, come into my room. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really want me to be there. He wanted the wine, I think. But anyway, I never made it. So it's still there. But in case you're listening, Ryan, it's in a cool area. It's not above a heater. And it will be perfect when you next come <laughs> to the UK. Brilliant. So this is the the Digo track. Yes, yes, very deep. This is probably the deepest one on the LP. Well, has he ever made a non-deep record, <laughs> Digo? Nah.
And actually, it's funny. We just this is a great track. Mm. Really good, good tune. Um, Flash and Friends. We're just talking as we listen to the music of uh, the clubs of the world where it really is magic to spin. And uh, I can't think of a better club than Yellow in Tokyo. Yeah. In every respect. God bless that. I really, really building. hope. I hope so much that someone can can create that club. I mean, you've got your plastic peoples, but it's different level. That's that's a that's that's a fantastic club. But it's the thing about Yellow is that you could get 1,200 people in there, but it felt like you could be a plastic people. Yeah. That was the thing. Yeah. Whereas all those big clubs in London, they're good, but but they're big, and they don't have that closeness exactly the thing about yellow i thought was that it had a massive sound system but it still sounded intimate you, could, you still could feel it as opposed to just hear some loud noise you know? do you think was it do you think that if you'd have transported that club into london could you get it or was it also to do with the fact that the audience was was just right in japan would you think that if you had some the wrong people in the club they might make. no I don't think that but you'd get wrong people we, in yellow, we have got yellow here we've got the Ministry of Sound but it never developed the way yellow developed we, yellow was right across the board wasn't it musically bands playing there all the time at, at loads of different types of DJs played there throughout the world and I think that helped concrete its statement you know that you can have a big room and be yeah all over yeah that's true I think I, I, I get the feeling in England sometimes in London is that those clubs have been programmed in such a way that if I'm given the main room at Ministry, I'm not confident before I go on because I feel like I shouldn't really be here. Mm. Whereas in these other clubs around the world, they've got DJs like me playing on a Saturday night, so you feel very comfortable about it. I don't know what it's. Of course, of course. Well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be playing there. That's what I, that's what I was saying. That. We, sh we should have been programmed the other way. There should be massive disco nights and boogie nights and funk nights at the Ministry of Sound on its nights off, but it's just, they, you know, it's a lot about the corporate. Lowest common denominator. I mean, Fabric do a good programming, I think. They've got a very, you know, they, they know what they want. Yeah. Um, I also think that the end was never a particularly comfortable club for me to play in, the main room, that is, but with Richard and Leon Bushwacker, they had a very definite idea of what that club yeah, meant. Yeah. And they stuck to it and they kept it underground. Yeah, they did that well. Definitely. They kept their identity through that. I think we should build our own club. Yeah. I think it's time. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm looking, Shoreditch, if there's any investors out there, I think it's got to be Shoreditch. I mean, West London? No, nah, West London, unfortunately, I think West London's had its time for clubs. Definitely. I mean, there is there is room there. There's always room there for a good club, but what, you know, there's so many other places now. We need to get on those buses and travel and get on our bikes. Another club I think about though as well is the Velvet Room at Zook. Oh, wasn't that? Now, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good room. Beautiful little room. Good room. Very lovely. Yeah, they thought thing. about it. They thought yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, the Singapore crew. I was going to say, actually, when you said the Velvet Room, I was going to say the Velvet Room is on yeah. the Charing Cross <laughs> Road. But that, you know, the Nicky Holloway's yeah, club. So, yeah. And Speeds. That was a great, great room, yeah. It was yeah. co-op there. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. It started yeah. off there. Yeah, yeah, that's where it all started, at the Velvet Room. Brilliant. <laughs> well, listen, Phil, um, absolute pleasure to, to, to chew the fat and all that stuff and check out your album. We're going to play a final track. We're going to play Foot Running? Yeah. Yeah, let's do Running. And uh, deep electronic sound. So actually, before you go, um, when's it actually out officially? Okay, the LP's dropping second week of February. Uh, February the sixth. I'm going to do an in-store at Black Market Records. Oh yeah, with Shay Soul. Great. Um, that's so again, what date, what date is that? Feb the sixth on okay. the Friday afternoon. So that's going to be that's great. That's at BM Soho. Yeah. And was that always your record shop of choice back in the day? Or did you have several? Or you know what? Out of all of them, I think so. Yeah. Noel Watson used to work there. Mm. My best friend Ray used to work there. Frankie Fonset used to work there. It used to be owned by um, before Dave. It was Larry Hurd's manager. An old friend of Noel Watson's, what's his name? Well, Paul Martin used to work there. Paul Martin used to work there. Um, yeah, but everyone's been through. Amazing there. shop. Yeah. Amazing shop. Yeah, so yeah. it's had a great, it's got a great history, you know. Um, then February the 18th at East Village, we're doing a free party. That's the actual official launch party for the LP. Great. We've got Shea Soul, Zanzika, and Sandra and Kake. Fantastic. 
and Zed Bias, Benji, Orin, Yang Kincaid, and Bob Star. Great, right, yeah, we didn't say Yang Kincaid, so brand yeah. new heavies into. <laughs> is that what is that? Is that do you, you've known each other from all the way back? Yeah, we've known each other a little while, not from too far back, but I remember seeing the brand new heavies at Diorama on um, Great Portland Street. Wow, that was the first time that I kind of saw the brand new heavies, and Yang's been a good friend of a load of old friends of mine, and he used to come to Inspiration Information. And it was just a natural thing. Let's get in the studio and mess about. Killer. And dates around the world. You're going to do a little party with me, right? In, um, yep. in in when is it? May? May. May 22nd. May the 22nd. I'm destined to be in America from March until April, from the 25th of March to the 26th, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, Atlanta, Charlotte, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York and Miami. Brilliant. Are you going to um, be there for the winter music? Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. It's all dependent on the um, paperwork yeah. and not the money side of it, mm. the bureaucratic side. Yes. Um, yes. And mm. where else are we going? Um, Rome on the 19th of February for another little Flash and Friends party. And that's it. Um, inspiration information on the 28th of February. UK special. We've got Al Kent playing and the guys from development in Manchester, Mike O'Mara, Tom Lynch and Chris Feynman. Brilliant. Well, listen, you're doing an incredible job. A brilliant album, as I would have expected of you, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, let's finish off of this track, which is called This Is Time. Yes. Should we go with that or do you want to go with Running? No, oh, I'm easy. Let's go with this. Okay. Easy. Mm. Later. Giles, thank you very much. Pleasure, man. and 